Welcome to the BMJ Podcast. I'm Navjot Lada, Analysis Editor, and today we're going to be talking about obesity. We have a problem in obesity research. Clinical trials continue to prioritise weight loss as a primary outcome and rarely consider patients' experience, quality of life or adverse events. And now a new analysis article published on bmj.com is questioning that focus on weight alone. I'm joined now by one of the authors of the article, Liz Sturgis, GP and obesity researcher at Australia National University Medical School. Liz, thanks so much for joining us. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what prompted you to write on this topic? Yeah, so I'm, I'm a clinical GP in Australia um, and I also work at the Australian National University as a lecturer. And I've been working on my PhD for the last three years. Uh, exploring the role of the general practitioner in obesity management. So this particular article was prompted really by a, a patient in one of um, the feasibility trials we've been doing in Australia. Um, she's a very insightful patient and in her interview um, at the end of the trial, she said, you know, Liz, I've got friends who are sick with cancer. I've got friends who are divorcing from their husbands and they all lose weight really, really quickly. You know, it doesn't mean that they're healthy. And that quote really stuck with me after the interview and, and got me thinking about, you know, what exactly are we measuring um, when we're doing clinical trials in obesity? Are we really looking at people's health? And Liz, you do research into lifestyle interventions for obesity. And when you reflect on that work and the work of your colleagues, do you feel that there is this focus on weight alone at the expense of other overall health outcomes? Yeah, so we, we know that um, BMI is a really poor measure when we're looking at an individual's health and their morbidity and mortality. BMI is really great at a population level, um, but when you drill down to an individual um, and you just look at their weight and BMI, it doesn't correlate well with uh, outcomes for the person. And using something like the Edmonton Obesity Staging System, which um, looks at people's uh, physical, mental health and comorbidities, alongside their weight, um, that lines up much better with people's um, morbidity. But when we look at the big clinical trials being done um, in lifestyle management for obesity, we still see quite often that um, weight alone is used as the primary outcome. And that may not necessarily mean for an individual that that's, that, that's an improvement in their health. Now, we definitely know that weight loss can benefit people, um, but perhaps we need a, a, a bit more of a holistic measure when we're looking at obesity trials. So in the article, you describe some of the assumptions that exist in the field of obesity research as they relate to weight loss as a primary outcome. And I guess you're motivated by exposing some of these myths because you're concerned about the effect on individual patients and a wider societal impact. I mean, we're not, we, won't, we don't want patients to lose weight just for the sake of losing weight. It's not a cosmetic reason that we're asking people um, to think about their weight. Um, and then I guess if we put weight as more of a, um, like if we look at someone's absolute cardiovascular risk and, and put it in as part of that equation, that makes much more sense. We only have, we only have limited health resources. And if we look at people who are abnormal or in a, in a weight range between 20 and 25 BMI who have hypertension, just say, they have a much higher risk of um, cardiovascular morbidity than someone with a BMI um, in the weight range for obesity but no metabolic risk factors. So it wouldn't really make sense to go and target all the people 
without metabolic risk factors and obesity. Similarly, if you look, if you have a patient who, say, um, smokes cigarettes um, and also has obesity, in terms of their overall health and well-being, it'd be much better to focus on their smoking behaviour um, than, than weight if you look at their overall risk for cardiovascular um, morbidity. Um, so that, I guess, overemphasising weight um, can increase stigma but can also mean that we're not um, treating the most important health uh, risks for the patient. So it seems like here obesity and BMI are proxy markers, maybe good ones, but still a proxy for overall health. Absolutely, yeah. I think it's a surrogate marker really, isn't it? It doesn't, I mean, it's easy to measure. I mean, all these other outcomes we're talking about make it a lot more complex in terms of your trial setup and your method and your analysis. Um, But I think we'll probably get to the crux of the issue a little bit better than just using weight. We are becoming more aware generally in society about the impact that unconscious bias can have on all sorts of decisions that we make. Do you think there's a danger that researchers and doctors might be being influenced by that unconscious bias in the way that they approach thinking about obesity? Yeah, I absolutely agree. I've heard people say that obesity is the last thing left in society that it's perfectly acceptable to discriminate people on the basis of. Um, And I think we've had a pretty rudimentary understanding of how and why obesity happens and um, why people have tricky times losing weight and maintaining weight loss. And because of those misunderstandings, and I think as a medical profession, we've put a huge emphasis on people's individual choices. when When really, if you look at the environment people live in, the choices that are actually available to them, add that together um, with hormonal drivers for weight gain and weight maintenance. It's not really a wonder that people, when they put on weight, have huge trouble getting it off. And I I, I completely agree with you uh, um, talking about unconscious bias. Um, you even sometimes see it in the analysis, the descriptive analysis that people do on um, stats related to obesity and mortality. Um, you know, if you look through a, a lens of, of stigma, it's it's easy to come up with some interesting conclusions. Um, and I think as an obesity research community, we've got a lot of work to do. It's really impressive looking at the work coming out of the Canadian Obesity Network. Um they have a huge um, push from patients in their their network. Um, and it, when I've gone to different obesity conferences, their conferences are really the ones that are most highlighting bias and stigma. Um, they have presentations from patients who've been living with obesity and the effects um, management of various kinds have had on them. Um, And I think that's the only way forward, really, is much closer collaboration with patients living with obesity. What does the Edmonton Obesity Staging System actually look at? And why do you think that that's a better measure than weight alone? So it looks at uh, people's um, symptoms around their obesity, both physical symptoms and mental health symptoms. And it also looks at comorbidities. So it's trying to look at the person um, holistically, Um, It's interesting because obesity has been defined by the WHO as excess weight plus impairment of health since 2000. But still we see a lot of the time obesity is just um, 
defined by the BMI, and that's not strictly correct. So I guess what you're saying is that this system takes into account the impact that obesity has on someone's life and goes into why they might actually want and need to lose weight. Absolutely. And the 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 Edmonton um, obesity scale lines up a lot better with uh, morbidity and mortality outcomes um, at the individual level, uh, whereas BMI doesn't do that at the individual level. Liz, perhaps you could talk us through the evidence. What do we know from research about the impact of weight loss on overall health? Um, in, in some people, yes, absolutely. There are diabetes trials that show that um, with weight reduction, people had better outcomes. But it, it's not exactly clear if it's the weight reduction or it's the change in the, the lifestyle measures. It, you know, the weight might be just a, um, a correlation rather than what's actually causing um, the improved outcomes. So this, this paper is definitely not saying um, weight reduction can't be a good thing for some people. It's, it's more saying that when we're saying that weight reduction is always a good outcome for people, um, that's not quite correct. Um, and that weight loss at any cost to the individual um, is also not appropriate in a medical setting. Um, if trials are not looking at things like adverse events, patient experience, um, and looking at just getting the weight down at any cost for the individual, that's not really in line with um, what we want for the best for our patients. And that's one of the initial assumptions that you challenge, that weight loss is always associated with better outcomes. Another one that I wanted to delve into is that every person with obesity wants to lose weight. Yeah, so there's, there's quite a lot of sociological literature looking at um, obesity in a, in a cultural context. And we know it di in different cultures, weight um, has different meaning um, and bigger bodies are more beautiful um, in other cultures. I've definitely had experience of speaking um, with patients in my own clinic and talking about weight reduction, but for um, body image and liking to be big reasons, they say, oh, I might you know, drop five kilos, I think, but I'm not dropping any more because this big body is who I am and how I want to live. So I think assuming that we all want um, to look like the thin uh, catwalk model is not true um, and that we shouldn't be sort of placing those um, those ideas of beauty and cosmetic uh, reasons into obesity trials at all because that's not the reason why we're talking to patients about reducing their weight. Yes, and another thing you talk about is this idea that all people with obesity can lose weight, which I find very interesting if you're also taking into account the kind of societal and social determinants of health. How does that fit in? Yeah, so we know that once people have um, weight on their body for a significant period of time, the whole body's hormonal system changes so that it makes it very hard to to, to lose the weight and with our, with our current uh, management options that we have available um, you know options are limited um, if we look at uh, bariatric surgery say it's very successful in uh, reversing things like diabetes but on average people will lose 20 to 30 percent from their highest body weight so even patients that go for bariatric surgery Realistically, we're not looking at getting them back to a BMI between 20 and 25. We're looking at um, dropping from their highest weight about 30%. Um, and if we look at people, uh, you know, in epidemi epidemiological studies, 
over a long period of time, very, very few people um, move from uh, a weight in the obesity range back to a normal uh, weight range between 20 and 25. Um, so I think we have to be realistic with what's achievable with our patients and also realistic when we're looking at um, clinical trials. Yeah, and that point about being realistic, I guess that also extends to sustaining weight loss because I think the evidence there is that a lot of weight loss is very difficult to sustain, even if you manage it initially, which in itself is quite hard. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And that, again, comes back to um, the body wanting to put the weight back on because it, it thinks it's starving. So once you've had a high weight, your body rejigs itself thinking that that higher weight is your new normal. And as you drop weight the body's um, basal metabolic rate will drop, um, you'll feel more hungry, um, and the body will work to put the weight back on. There was a, an amazing study, really, of um, of the American reality TV show, The Biggest Loser, and even at six years after the program, the participants still had a really lower basal metabolic rate, um, even if they'd put all of the initial weight back on. So I think... When we're thinking about weight and reducing weight and maintaining it, a lot a lot of the time we think it's personal choice or people's um, lifestyle, things like that, but there are drivers within the body itself, um, hormonal drivers that mean that it's very, very difficult to take weight off and keep it off. I mean, it's so difficult to keep weight off uh, and, and to get it off that I, I now consider a red flag in my clinic if a patient says to me, Oh, Liz, it's easy. I've just changed my diet a bit and um, doing a bit of physical activity and the weight's easily dropping off me. That actually um, worries me as a, as a doctor. Mm-hmm. If there's a, a red flag reason of why that weight's coming off so quickly. Yeah, I mean, just hearing you talk and when you survey all this evidence, this field looks quite challenging. I mean, it's absolutely right that we don't want people to worry or feel shamed or stigmatised about their weight. But it's also true that some health outcomes can be improved by a holistic approach to weight reduction in some conditions. But then you're also weighing that against sort of societal expectations of weight and eating disorders. I mean, how do you navigate that and how do you deal with that in your own practice? It's incredibly challenging, isn't it? And um, Mm. the the more I read and the more I think about it, it doesn't become easier, that's for sure. Um, I guess one thing as a GP now, I'm I'm really thinking about um, recognising early weight gain um, and asking permission for, pa- you know, with patients, can we talk about your weight today if we're noticing it creeping up slowly? Because I think the media, we have a lot of um, ads and things that say it's really easy to drop weight. You know, you can just get your summer body back. Um, but we know that's not true. So working with patients, if they're putting on a few kilos early and talking about what's happening um, in their lifestyle is, I think, really important. And then um, I guess when people um, have on significant weight, we're talking BMI um, up near 40 and especially with comorbidities, uh, really looking at talking about bariatric surgery if that's something that the patient might benefit from. And with careful screening and careful management, uh, bariatric surgery is definitely a, um, a measure that improves people's uh, morbidity and mortality. Yeah, that's interesting, that approach to try and have these conversations early. 
And when you have these conversations, to what extent do you signal the difficulties and challenges? Because that's one of the things I find quite difficult is you want to be encouraging, but you also want to be open and honest about how difficult it can be. Yeah, I agree. And maybe that's where if we you know, stop talking about kilos so much, but um, talk about behaviours. So um, one thing I was I was lucky enough to sit with Professor Arya Sharma, who's from who made the Edmonton Obesity Staging System in his clinic. And one thing he taught me that's really stuck with me is he said, yes, take the patient's weight, but don't discuss the kilos. And whatever you do, don't um, congratulate them on kilo loss. What you congratulate them on and talk to them about and encourage them about is um, nutrition and physical activity behaviours. Because people can't control what number flashes up on the scales for them, but they can um, look at what they are eating and um, their physical activity within within reason. If we think about our environment and the type of lifestyle people lead these days and then add in hormonal drivers in the body, it all is, you know, within within certain measures. But, yeah, his message was definitely don't cheer the kilos, um, look at, at, at the behaviour that the person um, is doing day to day. And that's particularly important because... Um, if, say, someone is using lots of laxatives or purging or um, starving themselves, I mean, that kind of behaviour is not something you want to encourage, um, even if it means kilos are going down on the scales, because it's not helpful behaviour in the long term. Oh, that's such a good point about focusing on behaviours. And to focus now on obesity research, which is what comes under attention in this paper, what do you think the way forward is there? Yeah, so we had a, a good think about it as a team. And I mean, the first thing would be that when we're um, enrolling people in obesity trials, probably we need to look at a health measure uh, for the people that are eligible rather than just BMI. So something like the Edmonton Obesity Staging System might be a good way to work out um, who might benefit from a lifestyle intervention rather than just BMI. And then following from there, really a lot of other fields in medicine have done really well at partnering with patients who are living um, with the disease that they're studying and looking at, at much better patient, um, patient-centred measures and particularly in trials looking at mixed methods, so some more qualitative work uh, in our trials to see what the experience is like for people in the trial, um, whether it has made their life more healthful or it's um, been stigmatising and, and made them feel worse about themselves um, and then finally uh, working as a community um, looking as a community of researchers patients and um, clinicians trying to come up with the best measures of health so looking at metabolic outcomes as well as behavior change um, and if you it's interesting in uh, the research world so the obesity world seems very quite separate say from diabetes or um even metabolic syndrome research. I think the researchers who are looking at metabolic syndrome have done this a lot better than maybe the um, obesity researchers uh, because they're looking at markers of health rather than um, just BMI. And on that positive note, that's a good point to wrap up. Liz Sturgis, thanks so much for joining us. And that analysis, Challenging Assumptions in Obesity Research, is now available on bmj.com. And that's all for this episode. If you liked it, you can subscribe to us in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. And if you really liked it, you can find our full bag catalogue, all available for free on bmj.com forward slash podcast.
podcasts. That's bmj.com forward slash podcasts. There are literally hundreds of episodes, so do check that out. I'm Navjot Lada. Thanks for listening.